You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Our very own David Weston, host of Wall Street Week, is joined for a conversation with Gary Gensler, the chair of the SEC. David? Yeah, Kelly, somebody you know well, actually. Gary Gensler is the chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission. Thanks so much for being here with us in New York. No, it's so terrific to Washington. be here on Valentine's Day, no How about less. that? Happy Valentine's Day. I hope you're taking care of that. I, I, I hope, well, but you are with that great wife of yours. Yeah, I, I did it first thing in the morning. All so right. let's first talk about the news of the day, this uh, typographical error, apparently, from Lyft. It's too soon, I assume, for you to know what happened, and you don't talk about individual cases. But I want to ask a more general question about fat fingers. Is it part of your jurisdiction to make sure that publicly traded companies have certain mechanisms in place to minimize? We can never eliminate mistakes, but to minimize them. Well, so it's, it's really part of their responsibility. You use the term fat finger. It could be a, a trading shop that sends a flood of orders to a, an exchange. In, this, in the old days, they called it a fat finger because somebody's yeah, finger hit. Yeah. Now it could be in an algorithm. Or, or even that your, your filings, your press releases, and your annual reports are accurate. So that's really up to them. But yes, we have a role at the Securities and Exchange Commission to oversee to make sure that people uh, don't uh, defraud the public uh, and that they publish accurate financials. So when something like this happens, you call somebody up and say, are we looking into this to just make sure there wasn't something fishy <laughs> I going can't, on? I can't speak of individual things, but yeah. let me step back. So I'm chair of a 5,000-person agency. <laughs> a quarter of our agency does enforcement. Another quarter does examination. They don't call me up. I don't call them up on a daily basis, say, look at this. They're, they're really talented, David. They, mm -hmm. they figure out what to... We literally get something like 40 to 50,000 tips, complaints, and referrals a year. And they have to figure out which ones to pursue, which ones not to. Um, uh, and so occasionally I read about things in the press and I go, oh, I didn't know we were investigating that. That's a really, that's great. Our Boston office is on that. Another subject very much in the press has been for some time now, obviously, is Bitcoin, the ETF spot Bitcoin that you approved. And as I understand it, part of the reason you did it, the explanation for it was you felt that the CMA futures Bitcoin uh, situation would be good enough to indicate if there's any market manipulation going on. Are you far enough into it to know whether that theory holds true, that in fact you can tell from the CME futures trading what might be going on with spot? So it's, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, but um, several years ago, back in 2021, there was a product that went live, so to speak. Um, uh, an exchange-traded fund wrapped around these Bitcoin futures at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And then 
a different set of products came to us and asked to list on the stock exchanges. And while we had denied like two dozen of these over about five years, a court in, in Washington said, no, they thought we had not gotten that right and they remanded it back to us. And I thought the, the, the really the most sustainable thing forward was to approve these given the court ruling. Um, in terms of the statistics, we really do look at to ensure as best we can there's not fraud manipulation. But one of the challenges on the Bitcoin markets, David, is so much of it's traded on trading platforms that are non-compliant with our laws. Now, Bitcoin's not a security, but they're trading on those platforms a lot of other crypto tokens without prejudging anyone, have to be careful, um, that uh, with hundreds of other crypto tokens on there, likely there's other uh, securities. And we, we're in court in a number of these cases in front of various judges and panels. And, um, and so the American public, when you're investing in something like Bitcoin, to be aware, one, it's a highly speculative asset. Number two, it's generally trading on some platform that is not fully compliant with the securities laws for other things they're doing. And number three, I would mention is think about what use case. What is the actual use case? When you buy 100 shares of XYZ stock, you kind of know what's behind that company, what the there there is. Uh, you said you're not going to prejudge. I wouldn't expect you to prejudge. So let me ask you to prejudge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, David, I figured that. A, a, no, a big question people are asking is Ethereum. Is there a principal difference, a reasonable difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum? Now, I understand you'll have to have an application to look at all the details and stuff, but just in a general sense, is there a distinction between the two for this purpose? So, so you help the American public understand why I'm not going to answer <laughs> that, because I am in one, just one member of a five-member commission, but two, there's various applications in front of our commission. And just as you wouldn't want a, you know, a judge to prejudge, a commissioner shouldn't prejudge. Those applications are in front of us right now. Okay, let's talk about the disclosure of climate issues, which has been pending before the commission. Uh, and it has not come out yet. Uh, and it's not clear why. Can you give us a sense of the timetable on when you may have those regulations? So let me just step back. So the Securities and Exchange Commission is not a climate regulator. We are not a regulator of climate risk but we oversee companies raising money in the public and uh, they disclose their material risk to you or they're supposed to disclose their material risk out of rules that have been around for decades. And many of those companies are already making significant disclosures. I think something like 90% of the top thousand companies in the US by market cap disclose something about climate. Over half do disclose their greenhouse gas emissions. So there we have a role to bring some consistency, some comparability, you can compare and contrast. That's our role. It's a securities market role, not a climate role. You asked about timing. Timing, yeah. Ah, there, the great question. We proposed that rule back in March of 2022. We tend to take somewhere in the order of a year and a half to two years to uh, adopt rules if we adopt them, can't prejudge. But I would say here's the one wrinkle to this, my friend. 16,000 public comments we got, 4,400 of them unique, different comments. 
We not only have to read them, we have to consider them, we have to think about what adjustments we make. That, that's the biggest docket of comments we've ever received on a roll. So that's part of why it, it's, you know, we, we, we do our work carefully. Well, I'm curious about behind the scenes, what you take into account. And one thing very specifically, we have an election year this year, you might have noticed. There may be changes in the Congress, in the presidency. There's a Congressional Review Act uh, that says basically if you don't get some of these rules out before, something like six months before the election, they can be reversed by the next Congress. Do you even take that into account in thinking about the timing of bringing regulations out? Look, I, I, I try not to have this managed by the clock. And, mm. uh, you know, everybody says, oh, no, come on. Yeah. No, it, it's really about getting it right and, and allowing that staff to work their their part, the economists, the lawyers, the policy folks, the five commissioners to weigh in. Um, but we're certainly aware, I mean, Congress is a really important part of, you know, they, they ask a lot of questions <laughs> about every one of our uh, important initiatives, but this climate risk disclosure. But again, uh, we want to get it right and not against the clock. Uh, you also have just brought out a regulation involving hedge funds and trading in U.S. Treasuries. A lot of complaints about it, a lot of uh, gnashing of teeth, if I can call it that, on part of some of the hedge funds. Uh, do you take into account the possibility of challenges in court in putting together regulation? Because well, you're going to get challenged. Do you shape the regulation, try to minimize the chance of being overturned by the Court of Appeals? Uh, uh, it's going to be a yes, but let me just answer something. What we've done is the U.S. Treasury market is the base of the rest of our capital markets. It's also how, when you talk to Chair Powell or sometimes you talk to former Secretary Summers about monetary policy, it's how we do our monetary policy. So the Treasury market is so critical. It's how we also maintain our dollar dominance around the globe. So what we've had is a series of four or five rules around the U.S. Treasury market, central clearing, and yes, something about the dealers. And by the way, it's mostly about something called principal trading firms, not hedge funds, <laughs> not hedge funds. But to your question, we live within the law and we live within how the courts interpret the law. And ultimately, the Supreme Court writes the law of the land, as you know, the great Chief Justice Marshall once wrote 200 years ago. So we do take that into consideration and we're appropriate, we pivot, we moderate, take it into consideration. Um, and it's critical that the American public have confidence in their SEC, but it's also critical that a rule be sustained in court because then it can actually help investors and issuers for hopefully years to come. Gary, thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. That's Gary Gensler, Chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.